namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami I was uh, very touched and appreciative of all the gestures um, uh, made uh, yesterday on the occasion of my birthday. Uh, many flowers and offerings and cards and uh, good wishes, cakes, balloons, <laughs> candles, lanterns, uh, floating lights and so on. Uh, very, very lovely, very beautiful and much appreciated all the uh, effort and uh, skill creativity that went into uh, bringing all those elements uh, together to mark the occasion. Uh, as I, I mentioned uh, last night when everyone was gathered around the pond, um, if people could hear, <laughs> was uh, one of the, the, the things that I said was that uh, uh, yeah, this uh, beautiful gesture of uh, appreciation and um, uh, uh, say uh, the kind of um, uh, offerings of, um, of uh, Amisa Puja, the material offerings and the, the gesture of, of uh, friendship and respect, uh, veneration and so on, that uh, even though it's coming together and, and formed around, uh, say, my birthday in this particular instance, uh, uh, I meant it when I said that I really take such occasions as that as a a, an opportunity to to celebrate, to rejoice, to express you know, respect and appreciation for uh, for our life and, and our aspirations, what we are uh, coming together intending to do with with these lives of ours, with this uh, opportunity that we have in the, the human realm, uh, with these uh, the living situation that that we each have. So uh, that uh, hopefully that. Uh, that wasn't just taken as sort of nice words, but uh, you know, I really meant that. I really mean that because it's a uh, uh, it's something worthy of celebration, something worthy of uh, investigation and uh, and a rejoicing in that uh, we as human beings have the opportunity to gather close together to be the guided by skillful teachings why the, the wise understanding of the, the many ver- many and various uh, enlightened beings who've gone before us have we've inherited the the wisdom and the 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 skill the uh, say the diligence that, that the many beings have have displayed in their lives and we are, we are the inheritors of that we have this opportunity to live together to be encouraged to be honest to be kind to be harmless to be respectful that all of our best qualities are, are uh, supported and encouraged, and all of our, our uh, destructive or selfish or, or uh, harmful qualities are, are, are discouraged. It's a situation where we can let go uh, and are encouraged to let go of our impulses towards selfishness and greed, laziness, 
egotism and and so on and so forth. So it it is a, a remarkable and wonderful situation that we're able to be a, a part of, and um, that uh, that I would say is really worthy of celebration and rejoicing in. And uh, the um, that uh, there's gestures of wonderna of um, of uh, veneration and reverence and appreciation there. Uh, are very, very appropriate. It also reminded me, reflecting on that, how uh, with being around Lumpur Cha, even though I couldn't understand the, the Thai language very well, just being around him and also helpfully other Westerners who could translate uh, into English uh, what was being said, what was going on, but also reading Lumpur Cha's body language and the way that he related to situations, the way he related to people, was... Um, and the way he often responded to gestures of, of veneration and uh, uh, respect and appreciation and the you know, offerings of you know, flowers and material uh, material gifts and and or kind of uh, the the uh, qualities of, of devotion. Oftentimes, people would be uh, very uh, very touched by his presence. If you saw tears running down their faces, or be eager to to make offerings, and. Uh, one of the, the things that uh, really struck me, and I've mentioned many, many times, was, was so powerful was that, that uh, Lumpur Cha, he, he uh, let people express any devotion, appreciation, and respect. He didn't push that away. But you, you could clearly see you know, he, he, he didn't need it. <laughs> he didn't need to be approved or to, to be affirmed or he didn't sort of require gestures of respect and affection and obedience. He didn't, it wasn't something that he personally asked for or wanted or, or, or relished. It wasn't something like, yes, I am so wonderful. I am the great Ajahn. You're, it's totally appropriate that you adore me. Yes, please, yes. You know, I allow you to adore me as much as possible. Rather like the cats around here, that uh, they they allow us to adore them. That uh, it's, uh, I'm, I don't want to malign any of our feline friends, <laughs> but uh, there, there's a certain way that uh, as you walk past uh, some of the, some of the cats, that uh, they they'll kind of look away and then they kind of look sideways to say, you know, are you slowing down? And then they kind of position themselves so that you're allowed to approach and express adoration for them and they're not kind of asking for anything but they're kind of just uh, just checking and making themselves uh, open to being adored and re- respected and uh, appreciated for the divine beings that they they are or they, they feel themselves to be so Lumpur Jha didn't do any of that <laughs> but uh, uh, and when he was speaking or what he would point out uh, he would uh, he would emphasize how um, yes, you appreciate the, the wisdom or, or the, the goodness, the benefit you get from hearing what I've got to say or being around me or, the, or you're impressed by you know, how I've lived or the, the, um, the, the things that, that, that I have done or brought into being. But the main thing is you, not me. <laughs> the, the, the value of you drawing close and paying respects is actually hearing what I've got to say and putting it to work in your life. So essentially, don't look at me, look at yourself. And so, particularly if people were a bit sort of uh, gushing or, or, um, or praising Lumpur or, or, or say, um, hoping to, to flatter him, 
that would be a very clear message that, we, that would be coming from him. Like, you know, it's not about it's not about me. Anything of value, anything that good that I'm saying, that what you're praising, it's it's praiseworthy because of the ability that you have <laughs> to put it into action and to change your life. So uh, that was uh, something that was very very powerful, very very touching for me to see that uh, he didn't need to, that kind of approval or, or reverence. It was he didn't push it away. He allowed it to, to happen. Uh, those gestures of appreciation and celebration, but. He kept saying, it's not about me, it's about you. When people would say, well, are you enlightened? Or you're, you're an enlightened master. He would say, well, whether I'm enlightened or not, that's not the point, but are you? <laughs> or they'd ask, you know, uh, if, uh, if he was an enlightened being, he would say, well, don't worry about whether, I'm, whether or not I'm enlightened, but uh, look at your own life and, and uh, ask yourself, you know, so what are the things that are, are getting in the way of your enlightenment? You know, don't look at me, look at yourself. In many and various ways. So I, I feel that was a, a very, very skillful uh, way, a very skillful message and a very, very good example. It also reminds me of um, the, the story from uh, some of the, uh, the Sanskrit scriptures, uh, um, the story of uh, Ananda and uh, Pakati, the the, um, uh, the young woman from the Chandala uh, caste. That uh, it's not actually in the Pali scriptures, but uh, it's in the Divi Avadana, one of the Sanskrit scriptures. Uh, it was a story that was re- has been retold many, many times. And Paul Karras, about a hundred years ago, did an English version that became very well known. And then Eugene uh, Eugene Barnouf did a, a more accurate translation uh, originally into French then and now into English that you can read. But the story is that uh, Ananda was traveling through the countryside and uh, came to a a village well and there was a a young woman drawing water from the well and she was from the Chandala caste, one of the very lowest of the uh, people in the caste, uh, lowest castes in the Indian caste system. And uh, the story goes that uh, a venerable Ananda came to the well and, and this uh, young woman had uh, already drawn some water and he said, and one of the things we are allowed to ask for, or allowed to help ourselves to as, as uh, monks is water. And he said, could you give me, uh, could I have some of your water? And she, she was sort of shocked, like, because she could see that uh, Venerable Ananda came from a, a, a high caste background. Uh, it doesn't specify what sort of the signals were, but probably his accent or his bearing or his uh, appearance somehow indicated that he was from a warrior noble, high-ranking, uh, one of those sort of high-ranking castes. And she said, oh, I can't possibly give you water. You know, I'm a chandala. You know, I'm like, I'm, that would, I'm sure that would that would defile you if you accepted water from me. I'm so so low down, you're so high up. And Venerable Ananda very famously responded, I didn't ask you for your caste, I asked you for water. And then she uh, she was very uh, very touched by this and gave him some water and he drank and was able to relieve his thirst. And so this this was uh, an extraordinary gesture of respect and kindness um, uh, that uh, Venerable Ananda showed to her, and so then she she became very drawn to to Ananda, and then she, uh, according to the stories, then followed the the group of monks who were traveling through the countryside, followed them back to uh, to the Jetavana, the Prince Jeta's Grove, the monastery at Jeta's Grove in in uh, 
near Savati. And uh, so then when she uh, when she got there and uh, she was uh, somewhat besotted uh, with with devotion and love for Venerable Ananda and uh, she went to to the the Buddha the Buddha who was living there at that time and expressed uh, this this feelings these strong feelings of love that she felt for Venerable Ananda and then again very famously the Buddha said you know you think that you love him but actually I would say, I would say that you love his kindness that you love his kindness that's what you love and it's that quality you've never experienced that before it's the first time you've ex- that uh, you've received that kind of respect and, and and kindness from in the world and so that's had this big impact on you and uh, she was so so impressed and inspired by that uh, that particular teaching that observation from the buddha that she uh, gave up her her original perspective on venerable ananda and asked to to be ordained so she became a nun in the in the community um, so that uh, that and that's a, a a very potent story and very very meaningful i feel in that sense of of uh, the buddha saying yes you do there there is a quality of love or devotion or appreciation that the, the heart has really been touched but uh, it's it's his kindness it's the, the quality of kindness that uh, is the most is the thing that's really significant so it, that letting go of the person and uh, rejoicing in the qualities is uh, as i would say part of the you know, very very skillful use of devotional practice and uh, the um the kind of way that we can relate to each other as as teachers as mentors as guides or you know, people who are important to us uh, in our lives our parents or or people who uh, who we we look up to that we f- we feel that sense of great uh, affection and gratitude and appreciation for that um because it's it's very easy for it, for the mind to make it very personal <laughs> it's you know this person and i got to be near this this one and they are important to me and it's not trying to harden our hearts or be kind of clinical about things but just as the buddha pointing out to to pakati that the just the shift of perspective and to to see how we don't have to look at these things in personal terms or like bumpacha was over and over again like it's the uh, Yes, you're inspired by these qualities in in this being, but what makes them really valuable is the degree to which they can help you. <laughs> so that uh, uh, that's really what's worthy of, of respect and, and rejoicing in. Another one, one of the the things that just reflecting over this time and uh, some uh, that I mentioned. Uh, a little bit on the the morning of the um, uh, yesterday morning, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seems a long time ago. But <laughs> yesterday morning, uh, when the, the, there was a, the gathering of the uh, many visitors, lay visitors, monastic visitors came uh, together on the occasion of my sort of birthday celebrations. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, is good to bear in mind or to keep it in focus with with uh, with birth. <laughs> Is uh, the uh, again the the way the mind makes things personal and sort of rejoices in the the, the personal side of things is the the whole way that the mind can be uh, focusing on the, the samuti sacha the conventional 
conventional truths of things. So, uh, you know, a birthday is a particular date in, in the year. It's according to the conventions of the the calendar. Then, you know, this is a a, a special day, or like the, this is a moon day, a half moon day. So we have a one prior gathering, and this is uh, a special day when we gather. There's a dhamma talk in the evening. People take the the eight precepts and and so forth. Uh, but uh, one of the the aspects of of uh, our training and our practice is that, that we, we use these conventions and forms, customs and agreements, like the calendar, birthdays, uh, moon days, observance days, the seven day week, you know, the 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 way we number the days and so forth. These are all very clearly and distinctly in the in the realm of convention and agreement of. This is all the samuti sacha, the, the realm of conventional truth. And uh, when we are, uh, say, celebrating a, a, a birthday, it's, uh, you know, it's good to remember that the conventional truths uh, and the, the, the conditions that we live with in the, uh, in the world, the, the, say, the, the Vinaya rules we have, the language we use, the, robe, the clothes we wear, the robes we wear, the routines we have—you know—these are all in the realm of of uh, conditioned things. This is all the samuti sacha, the realm of conventional truths, and that where liberation lies, and we we arrange the conditions as best we can to help the unconditioned to be realized. That's the, the in a way the chemistry of uh, of dhamma vinaya or the the Buddha the Buddha dhamma, the Buddha's teaching is. To try and we, we set the conditions in place of our routines, our, our behavior, our speech, our actions, our attitudes. We set the conditions as uh, in as favorable a form as possible, so that the mind can awaken to the unconditioned. It's very easy for us to focus on sort of perfecting the conditions, or thinking of, of the you know this day is a really special day, or this is this is a really uh, there's a way we can make this particular thing you know, perfect, or this is more important than that. But uh, it's help. It's helpful to understand or to con- reflect that the the conditioned realm is is not perfectible in in any ultimate way. With uh, with respect to um, uh, to birth and birth and death, then. Yeah, like I, uh, I was refer- I was quoting that uh, that observation of Lumpur Cha when uh, an elderly person came to visit from a remote prov- a far off province to see him. She travelled quite far to to come to Wat Bapong and said to to Lumpur Cha, uh, uh, "I'm very old now. The end of my life is approaching. Uh, please, you know, Lumpur, can you give it? What, what advice would you give to someone who's who's uh, very old, whose life is coming to an end?" And uh, he very bluntly and directly responded, uh, those who, who speak of birth and death are using the language of ignorant children. <laughs> very direct Uju response. You know, those who speak of birth and death are using the language of ignorant children. Uh, the, the uh, uh, say, taking us to be a person i am i am 66 years old you know i am a young person i'm an old person i'm a male person i'm a female person this is my name this is my history all those conventional designations that they are conventional designations <laughs> the date you know our name our story uh, uh, these are not ultimate realities 
And so Lumpo Chao making that, that comment, uh, in a way it encapsulates that whole domain. You know, don't think in those terms that uh, nobody's born, nobody dies. That it's, uh, if we reflect upon that, that teaching of the Buddha that we find in the, the Udana that we recite here quite often, uh, there is the uh, the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed. Uh, if there was not the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed, then uh, then liberation from the the born, the, the originated, the created, the formed would not be possible. But because there is the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed, therefore is liberation possible from the the born, the originated, the created, and the formed. So <laughs> that, that's like. The most important thing, if thing is the right word, or the most important uh, uh, aspect of, of reality is, is uh, liberation is possible. The fulfillment of the potential of these lives is possible uh, because there, there is that timeless, unborn, unoriginated, undying reality. The, the unborn, uh, the undying, the deathless, that's uh, that is, the, the, I would say, the realization of that is the fulfillment of the potential that we have as, as living beings. That's the 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 goal that the the path leads to. That's the end uh, of the path. That's what the path is leading to. That realization of that truth, that reality. So uh, then, we, when we consider the conventions uh, of our life and uh, the say uh, celebrating goodness or, or what is valuable and important, precious to us, uh, then uh, or we look at our life, or how we set things up in the monastery, how we set things up in our life, and the relationships we have with other people, then it's never going to be ideal. You know, the Buddha's teaching is not an idealistic teaching, it's very practical. So, so we look, the Buddha's encouragement is to look for liberation where it can be found, look for perfection where it can be found, not where it can't be found. So that that, uh, in terms of, uh, of, of that you know, reflection upon birth and, and death, uh, you know, to say, to take those words of Lumpur Cha, that, to, to speak of, in terms of birth and death is to use the language of ignorant children. It's, it's quite blunt. <laughs> and even though, well, how does that, how does that really, how does your birthday fit into that, Ajahn? <laughs> so it's a, con, the, the, a birthday is a samuti satya. It's a conventional truth. It's a, a it's a, a, something of, that, of importance or significance in worldly terms. Ultimately, it's not significant. It doesn't have any substantiality. There's no thing really there. And uh, the encouragement then uh, of us, you know, taking the precepts, taking ordination, wearing the robes if we're a monastic, an agarika, an agarika, as a siladara, as a bhikkhu, uh, coming into the monastery, following the routines, uh, joining together in a harmonious and respectful way all the, the schedules that we have and the, the work that we do, you know, all of this is, as I was saying, is guided towards creating as simple and supportive conditions as possible so that the, the unconditioned can be, can be realized. It's, there's always going to be imperfections or, or compromises, things that are, 
are not ideal in terms of exactly how we set things up. The buildings, our bodies, you know, are never quite perfect. <laughs> They're always getting ill or hurting or <laughs> bits go wrong or stop working. The, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the conventions that we have, the, the, the rules that we have, we always have to keep looking at the Vinaya discipline and say, okay, well, how does that fit in with, with modern day life? You, A uh, few months ago, there was a whole long discussion about, well, Ajahn, how does Bitcoin fit into our, you know, the, the Vinaya rules about money? <laughs> well, Bitcoin did not exist <laughs> in the Buddha's time. So, yeah, how do these things uh, fit into our, our conceptual field? So I, I feel that when we are focusing or looking at the conventions of our life, the, the routines that we have, the structures of relationship, The, uh, uh, how we look after our, our, uh, our living spaces, our routines, and so on. It's good to, to bear this in mind that these are, are structures, conventions that are being formed uh, as a sort of best, uh, best fit, best guess, <laughs> best approximation in doing uh, things in, in a, as uh, convenient and as, uh, say, appropriate a way as possible. But recognizing it's never going to be perfect. It's never because things keep changing, things keep moving. Um, but the important thing is that the conventions, the forms, the structures are good enough. <laughs> uh, a good create a good enough environment, a supportive enough environment, are, are close enough to what's helpful for the, the heart to awaken to that ultimate reality, that unborn, undying, timeless uh, reality. What is what is unimaginable, uh, as Lumpur Sumato has, has been emphasizing a lot recently. Another of the teachings uh, in, in this area I like to reflect upon, uh, along with Lumpur Chah's comment about uh, those who speak of birth and death are using the language of ignorant children. You know, nobody's born, nobody dies. You know, let go of the whole thing. There's a, a, a passage from the, te uh, from the Sutra of Hui Neng, who was the sixth of the, uh, uh, the, the kind of uh, patriarchs, the, the um, ancestors of uh, Buddha Dhamma in China, uh, Hui Neng. Um, and uh, this particular passage uh, I found very, very striking, very, very moving. And uh, it, the English translation goes something like, in this moment there is no thing that comes to be In this moment, in this present reality, there is no thing that ceases to be. Thus, in this moment, there is no birth and death to be brought to an end. Though it is uh, only this moment, there is no limit to this moment. And herein is uh, complete delight. Even though it's just this moment, there is no limit to this moment. And herein is perfect delight. So that uh, uh, letting go of time, letting go of past and future, the heart awake to, to this moment, and it, it might seem a little bit hard to understand, because we might think, well, things are coming to be all the time, Ajahn, you're talking, it's words coming to be, it's the, the clock is ticking, it's ten past nine, And it's uh, uh, it's uh, things are constantly coming into being and, and ending, 
But what uh, what that, the great master Hui Neng is pointing to is that in the the uh, in the actuality of the timeless Dhamma, the Akaliko Dhamma, the Pachupana Dhamma, the here and now reality, that there is no thing that's actually coming to to be in this moment. It's exactly like this. There's no solid, permanent, independent thing that wasn't and now is. It's just that it's sort of uh, there's no flow of time wherein things come into being. In this moment, it's exactly like this. <laughs> there's no thing that ceases to be. The world of things depends on time, depends on a past and a future. The world of identity, me, meanness, uh, my life began 66 years ago, 66 years and a day ago. <laughs> that uh, that depends on attachment to perceptions. Uh, if we reflect, uh, just as we chanted this evening, the Dhamma, apparent here and now, timeless. Uh, so like a word like timeless is just one word. But if that's really allowed into the heart, if there's a genuine and full reflection on that timeless, no past, no future, so that that unplugs the whole realm of my life, <laughs> uh, that began then and, and will end o- over there, or it, and it unplugs cause and effect. It uh, unplugs uh, the the whole set of judgments and perceptions that the mind easily forms about where we are, what season it is, what we're doing, the things that I have done, the things that I will do. All of that is, is unplugged, is, is uh, say, uh, deprived of substantiality, deprived of, of, of substance, of, of essence, or is recognized there never was an essence. It was never really was time passing. That was just how things seemed to, to be. Oh. Uh, the, these are subtle concepts. Uh, it's hard to to see how these work together. But this is a, a very central principle of Buddha Dhamma: the relationship of conventional truth and ultimate truth. The the passing of time and our, our individual identities. You know, this is me here. That's Ajahn Kongrit there. Ajahn Yamadasana there. Ajahn Aryasila there. Anagarika Evgenia there. Anagarika Aryasara's sister Sutisa there. It's like there. I'm here. You're there. We have our names. We have our places. It's Saturday, September the third, <laughs> and so on and so forth. These are the conventional truths. But from the ultimate perspective, the, the, there aren't separate people there. There isn't really a September the third, and there these are appear, these are the world of appearances only. They're very convincing and uh, and uh, uh, tangible appearances, but they are just appearances. So another way I like to talk about this is just uh, to use the image of the sun rising and setting. Yesterday morning, I think I was mentioning the same symbol. So we we can measure very, very accurately exactly when the sun will rise. At this latitude, this place, the you know, sun will rise at you know, 6.05 in the morning or 5.45 in the morning, and tomorrow it'll be a bit different. And when the sun sets, it'll be you know, uh, 7 or 8 in the evening that... Uh, we can keep careful track on that. We know when the sun rises, when the sun sets, and how that varies around the world and different places. But the rising and setting of the sun is dependent upon the point of view being the surface of the planet Earth. 
if uh, the point of view goes from the earth to the sun itself, then rising and setting doesn't apply. It's only because of the spinning of the earth that we talk about the rising and setting of the sun. The sun isn't actually <laughs> rising and setting from its own side. It's not. It's just being where it is. Of course, it's got its own motions in terms of the actual you know, astro astronomical realities, but just in terms of the symbol, you can just say, the sun is there, not going anywhere. And its rising and setting only appears to be real, and is, it is predictable, and we can accurately measure it uh, repeatedly, over and over and over, with great, uh, say, uh, uh, say, precision and, and, uh, and reliability. Yeah, we can know exactly when it's going to rise, when it's going to set. Yes. <laughs> but it's only doing that because of the point of view. If, if the point of view goes, if, our, if we go from the earth to the surface of the sun, as it were, take the position of the sun, then what happens to the rising and setting? doesn't apply. And so Lumpur Chah's language of uh, to speak of birth and death is to use the language of ignorant children. It's like saying you know, the only uh, that that rising and setting is absolutely real, and because we can see it happening every day, that's the truth. Uh, but Lumpur Chah's observation is: well, it seems to be the truth because of where you're <laughs> where you're standing. Yeah, but if you stand somewhere else, if you take the position of Dhamma, as it were, if the being Dhamma, embodying that reality, then the spinning of the earth, this little blue-green blob kind of spinning off in the distance, it's just a, another sankhara, another changing condition spinning out in the vast emptiness of space. So that, that, that I feel, is a, a very good way of representing that change of view, that shift of perspective, so that the heart can begin to appreciate that uh, that timeless reality that where you know, no thing comes to be, no thing ceases to be, where uh, there is no birth and death to be brought to an end, like the there, like taking the position of the sun. You know, you, that there, there isn't the rising and setting. There isn't birth and death. There isn't beginning and ending uh, as a as a, uh, a felt experience. It's just seeing the patterns of the universe coming and going and changing, and but that's. Uh, that isn't anything that has any substantiality, any genuine or profound reality. The, the heart knows that, beginnings and endings and changes, but it's not identified with that. It's not, lim it's not tied to that. It's not limited by that. As a, and in that verse of Hui Neng where he says, even though it's just this moment, there is no limit to, the, to this moment. It's like that space which is infinitely vast and open. There's no limit to this present reality. Oh, uh, that these, this area of Dhamma practice can seem a bit intangible or a bit airy-fairy, kind of bit, uh, but that's, under, that's to be expected because, uh, again, as Lumpur Sumato has been saying many, many times, timelessness is unimaginable unimaginable. <laughs> the mind can't imagine timelessness. We can't imagine unlocatedness, the heart free of cause and effect, the free, free of time, unlocated. Because all of our perceptions, our language, our thoughts are formed around time 
identity, being a place, being an observer, being this person, uh, knowing the passing of time. That's the, the, the conditioning of our mind and our language, our thoughts are all structured around identity, time, location, cause and effect, language, concepts. They are all, I see, informed and, and, and dependent upon seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. So to let go of those familiar reference points of time, identity, location, causality, number, language, <laughs> then we're kind of, uh, it is unimaginable. It's, a, it, it's not possible to imagine that. So uh, the fact that we can't easily create a mental image of unborn, undying, timelessness, it's, that's to be expected. <laughs> it is. And so I felt that was extremely helpful how much Lumpur Sumedha was emphasizing that. Yeah, it, it is unimaginable. <laughs> The mind can't imagine, but that doesn't mean to say it's not real. It just means saying that the, the the mind, which uses the currency of of identity and time and, and three dimensional space as its reference points, it's like that that currency isn't valid here. That's that's monopoly money. <laughs> that's not real. That's not real cash. That uh, or Bitcoin either. It doesn't apply. It doesn't have any value. So it's also, I would say, why uh, in the in the Buddha's teaching, uh, about I would say something like ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of the Buddha's teaching is talking about the path to the realization of that truth, rather than trying to describe the indescribable or name the unnameable, to uh, imagine the unimaginable. Uh, very, very early on, right at the very beginning, it seems that the Buddha realized. You can't describe this. You can't. Language can't really go there. This is not. This can't be depicted in in an accurate way using concepts or language. Um, and so, the vast majority of the teaching is about the path, how to train the the heart, how to work with this life and our relationships and the, the world that we are, are a part of on the conventional plane, how to use. The conditions of living, uh, our bodies, our minds, our language, our thoughts, our energies, how to use all of that in order to, uh, say, uh, facilitate that awakening, that realization, rather than trying to describe what is realized or what, what is reached at the, at the end of the path or, or what is the, what's, it, what's it like when the, the goal has been realized. So, uh, even though we might feel that uh, words like the unconditioned or the deathless or, or nibbana don't give us a, a, a lot to work with, that's quite a deliberate uh, approach of the Buddha, just uh, not trying to be too specific or spell things out too much in that uh, of that quality, because realizing the main thing is to do the work that's needed to. Uh, to uh, arrive at that realization, exactly what it is, or, or how uh, how it is known, or, or that that uh, the fundamental nature of that reality. It says, well, <laughs> when uh, when it's been realized, then it's uh, it speaks for itself. We don't need to come up with a description or a, some kind of poet, poetic um, uh, way of representing that. Just do the work that's necessary for that to be realized, to be embodied, and. The rest will speak for itself.
Uh, and I feel this is extraordinarily skillful. And uh, over time, I've realized more and more how how brilliant, ex- extraordinarily uh, insightful, so quickly, so immediately after the the Buddha's enlightenment, to have have known that, seen that, and so his whole teaching method uh, from that time focused on the path, not the whole of it, but I would say 98, 99% focuses on the path, <laughs> how to how to arrive, uh, how to train uh, the heart, the mind, how to use his life for that uh, realization to be embodied, to be actualized, and to not to not spend too much time trying to come up with a description of you know, what's the fundamental nature of reality. One of the, the the habits that we have, though, is, uh, and uh, again, this uh, is, uh, I've certainly seen this in my own mind, my own life, and, and uh, I, we, come, we come across very regularly, is that sense of trying to find perfection or, or completion or reliability in the conventional world, in our uh, in our bodies, trying to be perfectly healthy, trying to have everything functioning absolutely, <laughs> quote unquote, as it should, uh, having the perfect set of conventions, being the perfect monastery, or the perfect teacher, or the perfect practice, pure, absolutely pure Theravada Buddhism, and uh, not being kind of trying to be sort of half-hearted or or casual <laughs> about it, but uh, one of the things that. Uh, Lumpur Chah would uh, point out very clearly, very succinctly, it would be, if you're looking for reliability in that which is unreliable, you have to be disappointed. If you're, if you're looking for security in that which is insecure, you have to be disappointed. Yeah. Uh, and that we are, uh, say, doing, the, uh, we're putting things together in terms of our, our way of life, or the, the, the structure of religion, the um, the the kind of observance of the Vinaya rules and uh, doing things you know as as sort of properly and as carefully as possible, looking after the buildings, following the routines, keeping our robes clean and patched, and <laughs> behaving so sort of politely with each other. But there's always going to be things that are a bit off. You can't establish that uh, a, 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 something that is totally satisfactory in a realm which is unsatisfactory. <laughs> if you're looking for for completion in a realm that can't that you can't be completed. If you're looking for security in that which is insecure, we have to be disappointed. In the history of of Buddhism, I've heard of stories of of a, you know, a monk who was reordained over twenty times because he kept having doubts about the ordination ceremony being impure. Kind of the whether the people who were there or the chanting wasn't quite right or the the ordination boundary wasn't quite, he had doubts about whether that was done perfectly. So literally went through the ordination procedure over 20 times because of, got to be perfect, it's got to be right, it's got to be true. Or um, uh, a person uh, you know, looking for the, the pure and perfect practice of Theravada Buddhism, that going from one monastery to another, and there's always some kind of, some kind of shortcoming, or the other... The routine is, is you know, the the environment's too noisy, or the routine is 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 too open, or it's it's too organized. <laughs> the teacher's too uh, cracks too many jokes, or never never cracks a joke. Yeah. And that uh, uh, again, I've known uh, um, uh, more uh, in, within, even within this community, 
somebody going from one place to another, one monastery to another, for years and years, trying to find the, the perfect forest monastery where the practice is absolutely pure and, and right and good. And it, there was always something, something wrong, something not quite, not quite perfect. It was uh, some kind of flaw. Uh, and uh, also looking for the, the pure practice of Theravada Buddhism, the, the perfect translations of Pali, the, the, the kind of uh, perfect embodiment, the totally reliable, pure Buddha Dhamma. And that, that's, I'm not trying to make fun of such a person or, or to, to mock that at all, but rather there's a sincerity there, but I would say we're looking for perfection in the wrong place. Or, uh, and that sometimes that when someone talks, talking with some people, it's, you realize even if they met the Buddha, the Buddha wouldn't be Buddhist enough. You know, the, the, they were, that's the feeling, I'm going to say that's the kind of... <laughs> And a Ramana that arises in my mind, it's like, well, this person's are so, so determined to find the absolutely perfect, pure teaching that even if they met the Buddha, it's like they would find, uh, he's too good looking, or he's, he's got all the, he's got all the answers, you know, this is, uh, or whatever, you know, I won't project too much, but when, uh, when Lumpur Cha many, many years ago, um, and I think, uh, Lumpur Sumedha was translating on this occasion, a Westerner, had come to to visit Ajahn Chah and had been through through uh, uh, many, many of the ashrams and uh, meditation places in India and visited various sort of gurus and swamis and teachers and uh, there in India and he'd been through Burma and in Thailand and going to stay at various different monasteries and in exactly this way that uh, wherever this person went there was always something a bit wrong with this teacher or this practice or this meditation method there was always it, it wasn't quite. Uh, uh, it wasn't quite right, or it wasn't uh, quite pure, or it wasn't uh, it didn't fit their their ideal. And uh, Lumpocha said to to this uh, very sincere, dedicated practitioner, "said You're looking for a turtle with a mustache." And uh, Lumpocha had never heard that. It's a Thai expression, apparently. Uh, Lumpocha had never heard that before. He said, "Tao Tao Kapnuot, huh?" He said, did I did I get that right? And he said, Do you mean like a turtle, like a with a shell and a, and uh, with a mustache? And Lumpur said, Chai, Chai. And so, even though he didn't know the expression in in America, they use the the expression, "Look, you're looking for a, a rabbit with horns." Kind of that's the American expression. So, uh, so Lumpur Sameda wasn't aware of a turtle with a mustache being the, the, the Thai expression for something that doesn't exist in, in nature. But he said that to the, the so he said, you're looking for a turtle with a mustache. What do you mean? <laughs> he said, you're looking for something that doesn't exist. You're looking for a place, for a teacher that will always please you. You're looking for an environment that will always fit your exact needs. But that's impossible because your your needs will change, your your, your moods change, uh, and the places uh, are always uh, in a constant state of change. The the people, the ajahn, the the, the interactions that are there, they're, they're always going to be different. They're always in a state of change. They can't possibly possibly please you and inspire you all the time, every day, <laughs> indefinitely. It, it can't it uh, it can't happen. That's not the way nature works. So that's why I say you're looking for a turtle with a moustache, a thing that doesn't exist. And then Lumpur went on to say, you know, uh, uh, if you wish to stay here, I can teach you, but I guarantee there'll be times when I disappoint you. 
<laughs> you'll hear things that I say that you'll disagree with or that you'll find upsetting or that won't fit with your understanding. I guarantee that that will be the case. But if you're prepared to learn from what you like and what you dislike, what you approve of, what you disapprove of, if you're prepared to, to, to listen and to, to work with the different impressions that arise, then I can, I can teach you and you can benefit from being here. If you, the, if you are determined to try and find a place that will always be, uh, always please you, will always fit with your idealism, your idealism, and that will be, uh, the, the absolutely, uh, uh, continually perfect place, well, please, I wish you all the best with your search, but <laughs> it'll be a long search. I don't know what eventually became or what what went on for that person in their sincere and dedicated search, but they didn't stay at Lopopong very long and carried on after a while. So uh, this, uh, I feel, is um, is, uh, is is skillful for us. It's also the way that, uh, again, quoting Lumpur Cha, and I was referring to this uh, uh, earlier today, uh, when people asked him, how are you? Sabaidimai, uh, you know, are you well? Then he would respond with things like, dipodi, which would mean, um, uh, good enough good, or, um, uh, uh, well enough, or porchaidai is another expression, uh, which literally means enough, yes can. <laughs> the, uh, enough, good enough for it to be workable, or portondai, it's endurable. So, uh, uh, and I wasn't around him that much, but I never heard him say, when people asked him, Sabaidi, my Lumpur, I never heard him say, Sabaidi, you know, yes, I'm good, you know, it, it's all good. He always qualified it, and so, uh, when people ask me, uh, how are you, which is very, very re- regularly, when people are just greeting me, I usually say, I'm exactly like this. Which I realize is a being a bit clever. You know, I'm prone to being a bit too clever for my own good a lot of the time. <laughs> but, uh, I feel I'm, I'm echoing Lumpur Shah's, uh, spirit in that. Uh, it's exactly like this. Deep or deep, it's good enough. Uh, poor torn dies. It's endurable. <laughs> it's bearable. Uh, because it, it's a, uh, uh, a good enough to get by. It, it's like this. This is the way it, it, it does. We're not looking for things to be perfect or, or ideal, but uh, good enough. And again, that can seem a bit half-hearted or a bit weak, or we could make it better. Well, yes, there's, there's always room for improvement, like <laughs> demolishing a, a whole bunch of buildings to build new buildings in the same places. There's room for improvement. And so we, we do things in terms of changing the routines or adjusting the, the, the way that we, we function and operate. We, we are so active in, in trying to make things uh, effective. But I think it's really good to bear in mind that it'll never be perfect. It'll, it can't possibly be ideal. This can never be the perfect monastery. If you're waiting for it to become the perfect monastery, then it could be a long wait. <laughs> not because we don't care, not because we're, 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 there isn't uh, the wish to do things in as good a way as possible, but because if we're looking for perfection in that which can't be perfected, we're looking in the wrong place. If we're, uh, but if we look for it to be good enough, you know, the conditions are, are good enough. Uh, as Lumpur Sumaita would say, 
the, the uh, people, the, 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 the Dhamma is taught, the alms food is offered, uh, the precepts are respected. It's good enough. <laughs> it's a good enough environment to, today in this moment. It creates a, a, a peaceful enough, a respectful enough, a, a, a benign enough environment for the heart to awaken to that which is beyond the the conditioned beyond the formed beyond the 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 sense world that which is uh, unborn unoriginated uncreated unformed it's good enough set of conditions this body <laughs> with its various ailments and and uh, aches and pains yeah my uh, my eyesight steadily gets a little bit more fuzzy so i have to I have to wear glasses to read accurately now. So when I have these these dedication notes, there's a certain amount of guesswork involved. <laughs> I keep thinking I should bring my glasses, and also memory. Like I should bring. I, I was going to bring my glasses. And keep forgetting to bring my glasses so I can read the dedications. I can manage mostly, but if if you feel offended, like I got your name wrong, <laughs> it's because of the uh, rupang anichang, the, the the changing body. But it's good enough. I, I can see well enough that, uh, to to get by to to find where the dumber seat is, where the doors are, which way is the shrine. You know. It's not my eyesight is not that bad, but it's in a state of change. Our energy levels, uh, our say our capacity to, to to look out for each other and to be taking care of the various uh, jobs that we have. You know, we we do the best we can, but it's never going to be. Perfect. It's never going to be ideal, and so as I said, the Buddha was a was a, a pragmatic teacher. It's a pragmatic, practical teaching rather than a, an idealistic teaching. So we start from where we are. Pochai dai, good enough to get by. <laughs> it's uh, good enough. Uh, it's uh, it's workable, uh, and then. Again, not because we're lazy or we don't care, but recognizing, yeah, this is the way that the, the conditioned realm is, the realm of the bodies, and, and seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, the physical world, it's like this. And so we're, we're using and structuring the, the patterns of the conditioned world, the, the conventional world, we're arranging those as well as we can to create the environment whereby the unconditioned can be realized, and then that uh, uh, that kind of balancing. This is what really what we call the dhamma vinaya, or the the, uh, the 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 way that the conditioned and the unconditioned uh, relate with each other. That uh, it's uh, through respectfully relating to the conditioned and working with that in a skillful way to support what is wholesome and 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 beneficial, and letting go of what is harmful and obstructive, but uh, not looking for completion, not looking for satisfaction, not looking for reliability in the, the conditioned world. It was just like with uh, dear George passing away on the on the sixth of, of August. Uh, the um, probably uh, a few of you know that uh, he had just he just been to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, "Well, you've you've got three to six months." Uh, that's you know, the, the, my prognosis for you. Given that he had an aneurysm, he had like a, a bubble kind of uh, formed on the edge of this major blood vessel. That the doctors could see that there was a this aneurysm, this sort of bubble was there and uh, could uh, and could burst. 
but uh, he, uh, uh, I'd just been told I had I was leading a, a day long meditation in London, and uh, I had just uh, just heard that uh, George had three to six months life expectancy predicted by the doctors, and um, that day on the sixth of August, uh, that bubble burst, and he had enough time to say to his son Ben, "It's happening." <laughs> And then he went. He passed away. Just uh, yeah. and the you know the very day I'd heard that news that he had three to six months was the day he died. So it wasn't three to six months at all. It was just that that day. So uh, the rupang uh, chung, the body is uh, uh, unpredictable, unreliable. You know that's the, the way it is. So that if we are seeing that what well, we do the best we we can with the body is it seems to be reliable in this moment. <laughs> it's good enough to get by. We can good enough to be sitting here and to be uh, taking part in the one pra session, to be listening to a dhamma talk. You know, ears good enough to hear most of it. Brain good enough to understand at least a bit of it, <laughs> or at least to be patient while we can't understand what's being said. But uh, it's workable. It's good enough. And even if we didn't understand what was being said, you can listen to the recording or sit with a friend and they can translate for you. <laughs> so, uh, if we do the best we can, we make it workable to the extent possible, and then what is out of our reach, what's not doable, we, we let go of. We uh, say, okay, that's beyond my capacity, that's not something I can do, they just, uh, the system doesn't support that. Okay, it's, but it's good enough. <laughs> and I feel if we, uh, if we uh, have that that standard in mind, if we really take that to heart, that, you know, deep body, good enough good, that then, again, it's not because of being casual or lazy or not caring or just being, oh good, I don't have to bother. <laughs> no, it's, we, we do do the best we can, but realizing it, it uh, yeah, that's not where completion lies, that's not where fulfillment lies. The uh, the, the structures of the conventional world our bodies, our personalities, our living situation, it can only be a, a set of, of conditions that uh, can be a, can be supportive, but we can't, uh, we're never going to find that quality of wholeness and completeness in, the, in what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, or think. It, it's not findable there. So that uh, we structure the forms of our life. We use the, the the buildings, the discipline, the routines, and and our, our conventions of Theravada Buddhism. That uh, it's a, a good enough version of Theravada Buddhism. <laughs> it's a good enough spirituality. I, you know, obviously, subjective impression, but it's a good enough set of religious conventions. Uh, it's a good enough set of of buildings and routines. Good enough to create the conditions whereby the heart can awaken to its own nature and be fully liberated. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening.